Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Centuries and Saints, Season 1, Episode 9. This will be our second-to-last episode of this first season. I'm really excited to be finishing up Patristics uh, with our next episode that we'll be doing. And then after that, the podcast will be moving in various directions. We'll do more church history and historical theology. We'll also look at some systematic theology, look at the uh, exposition of certain books of Scripture, There's a lot of good stuff coming up. And for those of you who uh, used to listen when I was on K-Apple Radio in Southern Oregon through Applegate Christian Fellowship, I did a lot of teachings over the years on the radio. And so I am going to be taking those and kind of getting them cleaned up a little bit and releasing those on the podcast. So if you're familiar with that, or if you're not, either way, and you enjoy this podcast, you can look forward to that. There is a lot of material on the way. So I'm excited for that. Please be praying for the podcast and praying for all of these episodes. I'm hoping that they're a blessing to whoever may listen. All right. Well, for this episode, episode nine of season one, we are talking about a famous Western church father, and that is St. Jerome. Now, St. Jerome was a Latin church father. He was very instrumental in Bible translation and in the theology of the church, and particularly of the Roman Catholic Church. And the work that he did was, it was monumental, it was incredible, and it continues on even to this day. Now, Jerome was born Eusebius Hieronymus, and he went at times by the name Sophronius. So if you've ever looked at church history, sometimes you'll see names And uh, it's actually referring to the same person. Just people use different names for different reasons. Now, Jerome was born around the year 347 AD in what was then called Dalmatia. Today, that's the nation of Croatia. So he was from modern-day Croatia. And Jerome died in Israel, in Bethlehem, actually, in the year 419 or 420. Scholars aren't exactly sure. But anyway, he died around 72, 73 years old. So he lived a good long life. And every year on September 30th, the Roman Catholic Church celebrates a feast day in his honor. So he was a monumental influence on early theology in the late patristic and early medieval age and all throughout the medieval ages up into the Reformation and again up into today. And we'll get into some of that. Now, Jerome, among other things, was a Bible translator, a monastic leader, and again, one of the most influential and well-known Latin church fathers alongside St. Augustine. Jerome wore many hats. He played many roles throughout his life. Uh, Again, as a monastic leader, in the tradition of the early monastics, who we talked about a few episodes ago, Jerome lived for a season as a hermit. So we talked about those early desert fathers, how they would leave uh, their cities, they would leave everything behind and go live as hermits in the desert. So Jerome did something similar for a while, not for his whole life, but for a while. Uh, As well, he was an ordained priest in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, He also served as secretary to Pope Damasus I, so he ran in some pretty high circles. As well, he established a monastery in Bethlehem around the year 389. 
So around 42 years of age or so, he established a monastery. It's interesting because it was at 42 years of age that the reformer Martin Luther got married. So something about the age of 42 uh, seems like certain things happen in church history. I don't know why that is, but I find it interesting. Now, Jerome, in addition to these things, was also a prolific author. He wrote works on monasticism, asceticism, and asceticism is that practice of treating your body harshly or denying your body certain things in order to try and increase your spirituality and your sensitivity to God. And it's sort of, we would think of in a sense of the mistreatment of the body for the purposes of uh, bringing your spirit closer to God. Now, again, that has its roots very quickly in some Greek dualism, Greek philosophy, uh, which basically said that matter and things that are physical are inherently bad or evil, but the spirit, the soul, those things are inherently good. And while that is not a biblical teaching at all, that was a very prevalent teaching in Greek society. And Greek philosophy and Greek culture influenced the church in its very earliest days. We see that even in the New Testament. The Gnostics, uh, Greek Gnostics, who believed that matter and the physical was evil, and they denied that Jesus actually came to earth in a human body. Okay? And so we see references to that, especially in the book of First John. Um, but this Greek dualism, basically, again, it denied the inherent goodness of the physical, Okay, and it said that only the spiritual is good and important and right, and that the physical is bad. And so what would happen, as we talked about in that episode on monasticism a few episodes ago, these monks who practice asceticism, they would treat their bodies very cruelly and very harshly because they believed that in so doing, they were freeing their spirit or their soul from the shackles of their physical body and purifying their soul and spirit and drawing closer to God. So Jerome wrote some of his works on this practice called asceticism. Uh, As well, he wrote about the Bible. He wrote on theology. And many of these works that he wrote, they played a huge role in influencing the theology and the practices of the church during the Middle Ages, in medieval times, which we will get to uh, after we wrap up patristics. Now, the thing, though, that Jerome is best known for was his translation of the Bible into the common dialect of Latin of his day. So that Bible that he translated is still known today as the Latin Vulgate. Now, Vulgate is from the Latin word vulgata, which is where we get our word vulgar. Now, again, languages change over time. What that meant and what that means was not vulgar in the sense that you and I think of it as modern English speakers, that it was bad or, you know, racy or off color. It simply meant common. In other words, Jerome took uh, the scriptures from Hebrew and Greek and translated them into the common vernacular of Latin of his day that was spoken there in the fourth century. Uh, And this was a phenomenal work that he did. And this is what he's best known for, this legacy of Bible translation. Jerome is also known today as one of the few doctors of the church. So the Catholic Church recognizes him as one of their doctors, or again from the Latin doctore to teach, so teacher. It's a very uh, 
exclusive group of people who are doctors of the church, but Jerome is one of them, alongside men like Thomas Aquinas, for example. So very influential. Now, Jerome, a little bit of his biographical story. Uh, As a young man, he was an avid student of theology and of Latin literature. So he was a bright young man, loved to read, and he would frequently spend time in the catacombs. Now, because what do you do as a young man in the fourth century? There's no Netflix or social media or iPhone to sort of rot your brain. So, of course, you take your books and you go read in the catacombs. (laughs) What else would you do, right? Now, when he was around 19 years old or so, at the very end of his Roman education, uh, he was baptized into the church, and historians believe he was probably baptized by Pope Liberius, so baptized by the Pope himself. So again, he had some connections. And then for the next 20 years or so, Jerome was something of an itinerant minister, as you and I might think of it. Uh, He would travel from town to town, city to city, going around, and he would do various things, uh, you know, related to his theology, related to his life's work, about, again, 20 years or so. Needless to say, he was not married. Um, That wouldn't be much of an easy life for a family, but he was single, 20 years or so as an itinerant minister. Now, something happened to Jerome, a dream that he had that is famous in the annals of church history. He had a dream where he was dragged before God's judgment seat, God's tribunal. And he was accused at God's judgment seat of being a Ciceronian rather than a Christian due to his love of pagan literature. Now, what does that mean? Well, Cicero was a very famous Latin writer, very famous Latin writer, not a Christian, philosopher, a writer, and Jerome enjoyed reading Cicero and other non-Christian writers. But Jerome had this dream that he was dragged before God's judgment seat and accused of being a Ciceronian, in other words, a fan of Cicero and pagan literature more than being a Christian. And so that scared Jerome. And so for a long time thereafter, he never owned or read any books written by non-Christians. Okay, So kind of the sort of ancient uh, Latin version of you know, the youth group kid who throws away all of his secular CDs, you know, after the revival camp meeting. So anyway, those things are nothing new, Uh, but it's interesting. Uh, Sometimes you see these men and women in church history that had these dreams that changed the entire course of their lives. Uh, It's pretty interesting. And they put a lot of stock, many of them, in the dreams that they would have, believing that God was speaking to them. Now, uh, Also, Jerome, after this incident, he wrote an allegorical commentary on the book of Obadiah. Now, the the book of Obadiah is there in your New Testament around the book of Jonah and Nahum. It's just one chapter. It's a short little letter. And it was written by the prophet Obadiah to the nation of Israel. And he was pronouncing God's impending judgment upon the Edomites, one of Israel's enemies. Okay, so this is basically a book encouraging the Israelites that God is going to take care of your enemies. Okay, and so Jerome wrote a commentary on that book. However, again, this was an allegorical commentary. Okay, and so an allegorical way of interpreting scripture is not taking the scripture literally and just simply trying to figure out what the author had in mind and what the author was saying, but rather it's reading other meanings and other symbolism into the literature. 
Okay, so if I were, this is just off the top of my head here, but if I were to do that today, that might look something like this. In John chapter 21, after Jesus' resurrection, we read that the disciples were out fishing, okay, and that they, they threw their nets overboard at Jesus' command, and they brought in a huge haul of fish, and John tells us it's 153 fish. I don't know why that detail is in the narrative, but there it is. Okay, so an allegorical way of interpreting that passage would be to say, okay, the disciples then could represent, you know, all Christians throughout church history. And, you know, the net represents the preaching of the gospel and the boat represents the church. And the 153 fish represent, you know, 153 nations. And we're about to see a huge revival bringing people from 153 nations to Jesus as he's waiting, so to speak, on the shore for his church, right? And the waters there are bringing us to Jesus, okay? And the waters represent the nations of the earth. You know, that would be an allegorical way of interpreting that passage. Now, for the record, I do not believe that what I just said is a valid interpretation. So don't read John 21 and think that's what it's saying. It's not. Um, John, for whatever reason, just felt led to include that detail for us. <laughs> that's all it is. But that's an example of allegory. And Jerome wrote an allegorical commentary. And allegory, as well as other ways symbolically of interpreting the scripture, were very, very popular in the early church and in uh, medieval days. It's very popular. Okay, and, and I won't get into this now, but just to mention, that was one reason why when the Protestant reformers came along, they wanted to get rid of all of that and just get back to, okay, what is the actual interpretation of any given scripture? What was the author saying? Sort of known as the historical grammatical method. You look at the languages, you look at the cultural context, and you say, what was the author saying? Okay, that's sort of where our modern Protestant evangelical way of interpreting scripture comes from because the reformers were sort of reacting against this allegorical way of making the text kind of say, whatever we think it says, you know, and, and I appreciate that because if you take the allegorical method too far, you can really make any text of scripture pretty much say anything you want. And effectively then that means that the Bible doesn't really mean anything because if you can make it mean whatever you want, then it doesn't really mean anything, right? Anyway, that's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I wanted to touch on that. Okay, so back to Jerome. In the year 375, okay, so he's about uh, 28 years old or so, he began this two-year stint as a desert hermit, like I mentioned earlier. Now, Jerome had a problem, though, because the only language that he knew and spoke at the time was his native Latin. However, uh, being a desert hermit for a season in the area of the world in which he lived, he constantly encountered people who spoke Greek and Syriac. So he was unable to communicate with them. So what do you do if you're a desert hermit and you have nothing but time on your hands and you need to learn a new language? Well, you learn a new language. So Jerome, being the brilliant linguist and scholar that he was, and he was a brilliant man, he learned both Greek and Hebrew. So a few years later now, Jerome, his native language is Latin, and he has a great mastery of both Greek and Hebrew. Okay, and we'll see how God would use this to play into his later Bible translation work. And then again, following this, as I mentioned, he was ordained a priest. He was a recognized scholar. 
And also, Jerome began to translate many of the works of a theologian named Origen, who was around you know, a couple centuries before Jerome, a very influential Greek father, Eastern Greek church father. And Origen has a lot of works that are with us today, very influential and very important in the history of the church. Also, Jerome ended up becoming something of the spiritual father and teacher to a group of Roman widows and virgins, and they actually accompanied him to the land of Israel, to Palestine there, where they built the monastery in Bethlehem. Again, Jerome sort of wears all these different hats, author, theologian, Bible translator, Bible scholar, you know, spiritual monastic leader and teacher, all of that. So Jerome was a very, very influential man, and we can all thank God uh, for the influence that he had on the church. Now, let's talk about Jerome's most famous and, I think most of us would agree, important work, which was the translation of scripture into the Latin of his day. In the year 382, Pope Damasus I, again, whom Jerome served as secretary, uh, he commissioned Jerome to complete an updated translation of the Bible into the Latin of their day. Okay, so there was something known as the Old Latin translation, but again, that was sort of a higher, more scholarly Latin. And the Pope wisely wanted a translation of the Bible into Latin that was more on the street level, you know, that anyone and everyone who was able to read could understand. Obviously, we need that with the Bible. We need to understand that. Okay, so that was in the year 382. So Jerome set out to work right away, and the very next year, in the year 383, Jerome released his versions of the Gospels, the translation of the Gospels. Now, originally, and this is more of a, a scholarly geeky note for us who enjoy these kinds of things, but Jerome started out by using the Septuagint to translate the Old Testament. The Septuagint was the translation of the Old Testament into Greek, which was done around the year 250 B.C., but he decided just to scrap that and to translate the Old Testament from the original Hebrew. And Jerome completed that task in the year 405. So we're talking, right, this is, this is a 23-year project of translating the Bible in its entirety. I mean, that's a huge undertaking. So you see the dedication here. Now, once Jerome had completed his translation of the Vulgate, it wasn't immediately accepted by everyone, but from about the 6th century on, 200 years or so after Jerome, uh, the Vulgate was largely used as the standard Bible text for theological training and was adopted by the Roman Catholic Church and used throughout its history sort of as its unofficial Bible translation. Now, in the year 1546... The Council of Trent, which was the Roman Catholic Council to address the issues brought up during the Reformation, officially decreed that Jerome's Latin Vulgate was the exclusive authority for the Bible in the church. And that effect remains in decree today. Pardon me, that decree remains in effect until today. So certainly Roman Catholic believers can read the Bible in their own language, but the official version of the Bible that the church uses for its dogmas and its doctrines is Jerome's Latin Vulgate. And Jerome is to be greatly commended for the work that he did. It was absolutely incredible what he did. And I am, again, as a Protestant, I am very blown away by Jerome and thankful for what he did. Uh, it's interesting, though, because the way that he translated certain phrases into the Latin 
you can see his sort of Roman Catholic uh, roots, his Roman Catholic viewpoint on things. Uh, the most famous example of that is uh, in dealing with the Virgin Mary. <clears throat> now, in Luke one twenty-eight, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Hail, or greetings, you who are highly favored. So Jerome translated the Greek word highly favored as the Latin plena gratia, which means full of grace. Okay, and so that means that Mary then, according to Roman Catholic theology, Mary had been endowed entirely, fully, and completely with God's grace, utterly filled to the full with the grace of God. And there's a lot of theology that goes into that regarding Mary and the the Roman Catholic view that Mary was kept free from sin and all of that because of this. Now, however, and again, scholars debate these things, but the Greek word is the word kakaritomene, which... If you look it up in a Greek lexicon, and and I've studied these things in seminary, it's a passive word, and it basically means you who have been highly favored or you who have been given grace by God, you know, all of that. And so Protestants and Catholics to this day, we debate on how much meaning we should see in that word. Again, in my opinion, personally, I think that Jerome's translation has a bias to it in that instance, and I don't think that, that the apostle or pardon me, that that the writer, Luke, was trying to make a massive theological statement about Mary. I think he was simply saying, the angel came to her and said, Kyrie, which is rejoice or hail, it's just a common Greek greeting, Uh, you who have been highly favored, you who've been blessed and shown grace by God. In my opinion, that's all that's being said there. But again, we can argue these things, and that's fine. Uh, There are other instances as well where later Reformation scholars changed certain words Jerome had translated to give them a less Roman Catholic sounding uh, bias. But anyway, that's a different episode for a different time. I just wanted to look at at St. Jerome because he is a great, great man. Even for us who are Protestants, we owe a huge debt to Jerome for his Bible translation and the legacy that he uh, brought about with that. And again, some of his works are available today and we can all benefit from reading other Christians throughout church history who are outside of our particular stream. You know, so for us as Protestants, we can benefit a lot by reading Jerome. Uh, a great man of God, a great legacy of faithfulness to the church, and uh, again, Bible translation, always a wonderful thing. That is our episode. Episode 9, Season 1 of Centuries and Saints, looking at Jerome and the Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have, please rate us and leave a review on iTunes in the podcast store. It really helps kind of get the word out. I would appreciate that very much. So I will be back with you guys next time for our final episode of Season 1, wrapping up the patristic age of the church. In the meantime, go check out the website, scottwmatson.com. Check it out there, uh, the book and the blogs and all of that. And drop me a note if you ever feel so inclined. I'd love to hear from you. But thank you for listening. May God bless you. And until next time, this is Scott Matson for Centuries and Saints. So oh.